The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and listeners, at the time of recording, it is my vacation eve. By the time you're listening, I will be enjoying a lobster roll from the coast of Maine, enjoying evenings cool enough for a sweater. I'm so excited to get a little break from D.C. and promise to be back in your hearts and ears on September 14th. In the meantime, today's guest is an old friend of mine, Mark Fleming, the president and CEO of Conservatives for Clean Energy, a Raleigh, North Carolina-based organization that works to educate opinion leaders on the benefits of clean energy initiatives. Previous to his current gig, Mark served as the district director for Congressman Patrick McHenry, overseeing district operations in a seven-county district in western North Carolina. Mark has an impressive record of leadership in business, government, and political sectors. During his extensive career, he has served as the vice president of NC Free and executive director of the Wake Forest, North Carolina Chamber of Commerce. He's going to bring some of those perspectives to our conversation today. And I'm just happy to say that while our paths always seem to cross, it was just great to have him on the show. So please welcome Mark Fleming. Listeners, welcome back. I'm so happy to be in conversation today with my old friend, Mark Fleming. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you for for having me and looking forward to the discussion. Well, it's really fun to sit here on a Zoom with you because I feel like you're somebody I know mostly through the written word and email. And obviously, we've been at conferences together and we've been in the same circles for a long time, but it's rare that we're in the same spot. So Zoom is like an opportunity to kind of be in the same spot. Absolutely. Yes. And and uh, a lot more of this than when we saw each other last <laughs> in our sure. world. For, for a sure. lot more of this. Well, it's a great way to, I think, get to see, and I'm using air quotes listeners, people than you would when we were actually traveling from place to place because schedules would get busy and you might be at a conference and still be too busy to make time to see somebody. So um, it's kind of great that we have this way to be connected to folks, but yes. I'm ready to travel. With yes, all that. I am too. I am as well. So I invited you to the show, as you know, we've chatted a little because I really um, admire the work that the Conservative Energy Network has been doing over the years. And for our listeners who are new to CEN, I thought you could talk about what was behind the inception, how you got involved initially and where how things are looking for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, CEN, the first state um, that, that started a CEN program was in Michigan in right at around 2011, 2012. So they've been up and running for almost 10 years now um, in, in Michigan. And North Carolina was the second state. And a lot of what we did in North Carolina, we replicated um, you know, the Michigan model. And it was all about state level policy and getting conservatives uh, engaged in state level energy policy from you know their perspective of of supporting clean energy and you know my background i worked in in republican politics for years ran a local chamber of commerce and then i worked for congressman patrick mchenry 
um, who's now the ranking member on financial services. And Congressman McHenry, I was his um, district director in Western North Carolina. And the way I got in, involved in this is uh, we had an event at a university um, just outside of our district. And I, I went to the um, it was a session for new members of, of the state House and state Senate. And it had been the Republican sweep year of 2010. And the Republicans had had just taken um, over in North Carolina in the House and the Senate. And I was there. Uh, representing my boss who, who couldn't be there at, at that time, but they um, had a great presentation and 45 minutes of it was dedicated to climate. And it was very much in a, in a view of who wouldn't believe in climate change. And they had all these facts, they had all of this. And, and then at the very end, they talked about an emerging clean energy economy in North Carolina and the jobs it could provide and the local tax base. And they talked about that just for a few minutes at the end. And I remember thinking if they had led with the economic development benefits and ended with, oh, by the way, this is helpful for climate, they would have had everyone in the room ready to go for them. And so that was in, in 2011. And so three years later, had a chance to start Conservatives for Clean Energy in North Carolina. Uh, built, we uh, worked with a great team of folks and built um, allies, especially in the business community on this. Uh, subject of clean energy. And in 2016, we started a program in Virginia. And then in 2019, we started programs in Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. So we're now in five states in the Southeast. Um, Conservatives for Clean Energy is the Southeast brand, if you will, of the Conservative Energy Network. And the total Conservative Energy Network has 21 states. We have 21 states and growing in the network. And so we're really excited about the states we're in, engaged in and looking at other states in the southeast for expansion as well. Well, I mean, I, that is amazing. And I love to see when groups like this grow. And I did not realize that CEN generally was 21 states and growing. That's phenomenal. And the work you do in the southeast is really important to the greater goal of reducing carbon emissions. And I would love if you could give our listeners maybe a few examples of some of those state policies that you said that the network tries to support at, at the local level. Yeah, if, if you look at um, clean energy, you know, you, you would think on the surface, well, I guess, you know, rapid growth in, the, in, in California and the Northeast. And while that may be true, um, the Southeast is experiencing a huge growth in clean energy opportunities. And you look at a state like Georgia, uh, Georgia has an all-elected uh, PSC, their Public Service Commission in Georgia, five elected Republicans, and you could not ask for anything more in terms of clean energy leadership from five statewide elected Republicans, Bubba McDonald, um, who's a longtime chair, um, former chair, Tim Eccles, um, who is, is just a leader on, on that commission as well, and five really strong um, Republicans leading Georgia. Georgia is now one of the fastest growing states in the country for solar installation. And they don't do it in a, in a top-down way. You know, this is not uh, Obama clean power plan oriented um, policy. This is state level um, policy that, that really draws the market-based um, and, and looks at it from that angle. So Georgia has been a shining star. South Carolina, if you look at what South Carolina has done on clean energy, um, you know, they had a, a nuclear plant that never got built there and created. Wait, was that the real, Savannah River plant? Yes. And, and uh, they had a, a big issue there that um, opened the conversation, if you will, for clean energy. And um, everyone could 
come to the table and look at the future, not just doing what we've always done, but where do we go from here? And conservatives, folks like Senator Tom Davis in that state, just leading the charge, um, you know, Nathan Ballantyne in their in their state house and on and on, real, true leaders on energy reform um, in their legislature. And those folks are Republicans. And you look at a state like South Carolina, what Congressman Inglis did um, during his time in Congress to, to, to really begin to move in that direction, what Lindsey Graham has done, Senator Graham has done in, in D.C. as a leader. So we, we exist to spotlight all of the leadership um, that goes on. And, and I could say the same in, in Virginia and in North Carolina and in Florida. Um, Florida is such an opportunity state for us right now um, with what Governor DeSantis is doing and a real openness to moving forward in clean energy. So, Well, it is the sunshine state. Yes, absolutely. And that's the state we're excited to be in. Well, one, one, when you were talking about Georgia, I just had this little memory flashback to that being one of the first, maybe the first state to really organize around the idea of energy choice. And yes. that was a way to rally conservatives that, that you had a right to choose where you got your energy. And if you could get it cheaper through solar, then why wouldn't you, especially in a state like Georgia that has you know, plentiful sun? Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen you know, we've seen growth. Most of the growth there has been in large scale, utility scale solar. Uh, but we were also work on on rooftop policy, uh, rooftop solar to, um, you know, increase those numbers. And, and Georgia has been a leader on electric vehicles as well. You know, there, there are several policy areas that, that they've been in leaders in. Um, when you talked about your involvement with local chambers of commerce, I that really struck a chord, too, because I remember back when I worked for Senator Warner, and we were traveling. This was after he left the Senate and we were both working with the Pew Charitable Trust. And he was the leader of this um, National Security Energy Climate um, Project where we would go around and talk about the intersection between national security and clean energy and climate change and the economy. And and I do remember that often in these meetings, we would invite local chambers of commerce who at the time seemed to be a little farther along in a comfort level of looking at clean energy policies and adoption than the National Chamber, which has shifted over the last year or so for sure. And I'm wondering how much does the activity at the local chamber level drive where the national chamber ends up moving to from a policy perspective? Yeah, as a, as a former local uh, chamber of commerce executive, um, I've seen just uh, the leadership there at the local level from chamber um, executives and, and boards and chamber committees and those that, that work on, on energy and environment. Um, we work with a group, Conservatives for Clean Energy. We partner with a group called um, Chambers for Innovation and Clean Energy, CICE. And we partner with them in several states, including North Carolina. Um, in North Carolina, we do a great event started six years ago. It's called our Clean Energy Champions event. And we bring in um, local chambers and their members who are making a difference in clean energy. So it could be uh, several years ago, uh, we awarded a car dealership that has rooftop solar and all of their dealerships. And, and they've talked about it from a cost savings perspective and the money they've been able to save doing that. And oh, by the way, it's also helpful for the environment, but it was a, you know, it was a smart business move. And so um, local chambers have been so important. And we see, you know, when they engage, when you have local level business community, small business folks, a lot of times when we think about 
um, clean energy advances in business, we think of the Googles and the Apples and the Facebooks. And those are great. And they've done so much to help drive um, clean energy development. But there's so much interest in at the local level uh, with smaller businesses. We've seen this in North Carolina with breweries all across North Carolina. The craft brew industry is, is big and growing and it is throughout the Southeast. Uh, but those businesses are especially interested in um, the developing clean energy solutions and how they do the product and how they, um, you know, provide electricity for their facilities. That has been um, quite the story. And when we connect that um, decision makers, when we connect federal and state level decision makers with small businesses that are using clean energy to drive their, um, that it's part of their business plan, their business model. We found that's one of the most effective things we can do. We now continue on the Eco Rights Speaks podcast. Visit republicen.org online to sign up and stand with us. So this business case for clean energy and uh, going back to what you just said about how you went to this presentation 10 years ago. So first of all, 2011 was not 10 years ago. (laughs) I know it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. (laughs) But at this event, you were talking about how they made the case for climate change, but then at the end, they kind of buried the lead, right? So they, they ended with this clean energy business case, economic benefit case that should have been led with. So I know in your work that you've been able to trailblaze and pick up support from people who were maybe not comfortable talking about climate change or not finding, they hadn't find the right hook to get engaged and care, but through this clean energy message, you were able to kind of bring them into the fold. Talk about that a little bit and how, you know, maybe how you thread that needle between climate hesitancy and clean energy support. Yeah, you know, we found, and this was early on in our work, we found that, you know, if we use the word climate change, just that word, those two words used together in that way, put everyone back in their corner. So you'd have, you know, conservatives going to their corner, liberals going to their corner, everyone goes to to their corners. If you talk about sustainability, and if you talk about lowering emissions, then you get folks who are, you can get a pretty strong bipartisan consensus on those kind of things. And so a lot of it is how you talk about it. And we found that leading with clean energy and leading with the economic development benefits, you know, we're talking about rooftop solar, we're talking about it in terms of private property rights, Um, you know, and we poll these. One of the things we do is in each state, uh, we do an annual poll, and we take a lot of time to look through and see what center-right audiences, you know, where are conservatives and where are those who are maybe moderate but lean, you know, lean our way, lean toward conservatives, where are they on these issues? And um, we found that they poll incredibly well. Support for clean energy. When you talk about wind and solar and waste to energy and energy efficiency is a big one that we don't talk enough about. Um, Because our folks are, you know, they're the kind of, you know, a lot of our our conservative voters skew a little older and they don't like pollution and they, they like things to be done the right way. And so if you talk about it in terms of pollution and in terms of, um, you know, how we create uh, a sustainable situation. You've got them. You know, we've got large um, support base on an issue like that. If you start talking about it in terms of top-down climate change, you lose our folks quickly. Uh, Now, we have seen 
um, we never even, we didn't um, test a lot on climate when we started. We've started doing that now and we're seeing every year uh, greater shifts among Republicans. Now it's not an overwhelming majority, but there is a shift going among conservative voters, Republican voters, um, to say something is going on with the climate. Extreme, the extreme weather events we've seen, particularly in the Southeast, is driving that. They're saying something is going on. We're seeing flooding like we've never seen before. We've seen storms. Something is going on. The, the climate is changing. And then the question becomes, what do we do about it? Um, but, but we weren't there years ago. And, and I, I get the sense as I look at the data that we're doing that extreme weather events, that that whole argument is driving folks to say something is happening here. Well, it, it has always felt a little abstract to me, right, this concept of climate change. So unless you are in an area that has a sustained repeated flooding or hurricanes or fires, then I think you're very much able to go about your day and not really think about climate change, unless you're you or me or somebody who's right. like thinking yes. about this a lot. And so it what we're seeing more free or what we've seen the last five years, I think, is it's touching more people's lives on a more frequent daily basis. But also, I like what you said about this clean energy involvement and economic benefits. Those you can touch every day. So if we're going to pick up supporters because, you know, from that angle and the end result is the same, that we're reducing fossil fuel, fuel use or we're in, you know, increasing clean energy use, then it's a win-win. Absolutely. And our folks, conservatives want to be there on this issue. Conservatives, you know, we, we want clean air. We want clean water. We want I hear that all the time from conservatives. They are very and the left sometimes doesn't make it easy for, for some of our folks because it's very uh, preachy, if you will, to conservatives. But we want this, too. We just want to see solutions that are market based, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and for instance, um, the economic development benefits of, you know, North Carolina, uh, we have the largest um, onshore wind facility in the southeast, the Amazon Wind Project in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And the, the project sort of straddles two counties. And the um, the property uh, or the wind developer there is the largest property taxpayer in those two counties. And so, you know, the economic development benefits, think of the police cars and the schools that they're able, you know, police cars are able to put on the road and the, you know, fire trucks and the, you know, the schools they're able to help with with that kind of a property tax base. So, um, you know, those are the, the issues we have folks in our world who would we we run the gamut from folks that believe climate is you know, the number one issue, and we have to do something immediately to folks that are could be classified as deniers, who are both on the same team when it comes to supporting clean energy. And so to your point, you're exactly right, we're getting the same result. If you call it something different, that's okay. And if you go about it a little different, then there has to be space for those of us on the right to come up with solutions that are authentically conservative. Right. And I think we're seeing that more on Capitol Hill, too. Right. So Congressman John Curtis from Utah last month or two months ago founded the Conservative Climate Caucus, where they're just, you know, there are some members on that caucus that I don't think I've ever seen talk or say anything kind of in the positive about climate change. Not that climate change is good, but you know what I'm saying. They yeah. haven't yeah. championed anything or really been out there too much talking about it. And when I look at that, I think there's somebody that wants to learn, right? There's somebody who 
is saying, okay, I am seeing that something's changing and we need to make space for people to evolve their thinking. And, you know, I go back to our dear Bob Inglis and um, how he, you know, his own origin story on this issue where he, he tells it so much better, but all he knew about climate change was Al Gore was for it. So he was against it. And, and, you know, and he had his own epiphany, but he had to talk to scientists and he went to, you know, on some, um, some visits where he saw Greenland, he saw Antarctica and, and was able to um, kind of take the stuff that he was learning in the science committee and apply it to the problem at hand. And so, you know, I think having an opportunity like the one that Mr. Curtis is setting up for lawmakers to have a safe space to learn and to ask questions is really important because in a hearing, you might not get that same feeling because, you know, the media is present or you have the other side of the aisle there judging. And so we need to create these spaces for people to, to come to different conclusions if that's the goal. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think um, we're so excited about the Climate Caucus. And I agree, the members, a lot of the members from the Southeast, at least, that joined that, I was pleasantly surprised um, to see the level of interest. Because a lot of times in the work that we do, we go to the same well over and over. You know, we go to the Lindsey Grahams who are just so great on these issues and we go over and over and over, but there's a second tier and a third tier of, of, of conservatives who are really interested in this and, and truly want to do the right thing. And we've got to provide a space for those um, decision makers who are second and third tier, who, who may only be with us policy-wise on this issue 80 or 85 percent but that's great we, we've got to provide a space for them to grow and to right to, use to them on the, that 85 percent absolutely and, you know it's a process like i bet that senator graham didn't start off where he is today on these issues so you know you kind of move along and you grow in your advocacy of something and you grow more passionate about the issues that you work on over time and i think having those openings so that's an opening, right? If you see somebody on that caucus list who you've never outreached to or had any engagement with, then suddenly there's an opening for to engage with them. And that's really exciting. We need more of that. And and I like what Mr. Curtis says about, because I think they got a little bit of negative press in the beginning, and which is unfortunate, but check in with them in a year and see where they are and what they're doing because- it is a process and um, we need to have them at the table. So absolutely. No, we were, we were really excited to see that and, and the work, a lot of the work that has gone into that caucus. So if people, if, if there are any listeners that want to participate in the conservative energy network, what should they do? How can they find you or how can they find the right chapter to get engaged? And what does that look like from, do you have memberships? Do you work with companies? What is the engagement at the kind of constituent level like? Well, pre, pre-COVID, uh, we had <laughs> events uh, before, pretty, pretty before regularly. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but now a lot of that is online, but they can go from for conservatives for clean energy. They can go to our website at cleanenergyconservatives.com. It's cleanenergyconservatives, plural, dot com, um, and learn about what we're doing throughout the um, throughout the, the southeast. And then for the conservative energy network, um, they have a site as well. And I will. 
I will link both those sites actually in um, the show notes that accompany the post. So listeners will have both the cleanenergyconservatives.com and CEN's website in that. So you can find how to participate and see what states are engaging. What if somebody wants, what if somebody's state isn't part of the plan yet and they want to create some momentum back? Yes, I would encourage them to, to contact the Conservative Energy Network. Um, you know, one of the things that goes into that is, is finding those that are interested in funding that work, and so that we can can get it off the ground. And um, you know, we have a variety of of individuals and companies and others that that want to make a difference across the country and see conservatives engaged in this conversation. So that's sort of our our first step as we look at at growth into new states. Well, I hope someday we're talking and you tell me that you have chapters in all 50 states. Yes, that is our goal. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, uh, and and it's exciting you know, to be a, a small part of that as the Southeast Regional Director for conservative, the Conservative well, Energy. I mean, the Southeast is so important for all the reasons that you've noted. And I feel good knowing that you are there and that all of this is in your hands. And I do hope that when things are opening up to more in-person engagements that will cross paths in person soon. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes, I look forward to it, Chelsea. And and thank you very much for for taking time to, to talk with us today. All right. Thanks to our host, Chelsea Henderson, as well as our guest this week, Mark Fleming, for joining us. Thanks so much for your time, Mark, and that great interview there. Again, you can check out a lot more information. Check them out online at cleanenergyconservatives.com. Again, cleanenergyconservatives.com. That's conservatives for clean energy. Once again, CEO Mark Fleming. All right, we got a lot to get to here in this last segment, including Ask Bob Anything. Appreciate everybody submitting their questions via the Apple Podcast review. Uh, on the app, so go to Apple Podcast to go to the review or go to Eco Right Speaks. Obviously, download, subscribe, and listen. As we tell you every week, but you go to the review at the bottom. Give us four or five stars, whatever you like to give us. But also hit that little pencil button where you can type in your question, and we will pick one question every single week to read here on the podcast. And so let's go ahead and do that right now. This week's question comes to us from shark 37 and it's a carbon price is not partisan says i'm a volunteer for ccl i am a strong advocate of carbon pricing and dividend my question is why are there no republican co or no republican sponsors for hr 2307 thanks for any insight you can provide well here's our executive director bob inglis answering that very question from shark 37 The reason that we're not yet seeing Republicans on a carbon pricing bill in the House is that they're not yet sensing support from their Republican constituents, especially their activists. And so it's crucial that we build that support on the right. And we've got the opportunity to do that because what we can prove is, you know, there's an opportunity here to get this right before big government gets it wrong and tries to regulate stuff, we can do this through a pricing mechanism where the free enterprise system will sort this out. But in order for Republican members of Congress to join us on those bills is they've got to feel support 
among their constituents. Because the reality is that politicians are afraid of the people they represent, and they're terrified of the activist in their own party. Because those are the people who turn up at primaries and turn you out. And so we got to convince those folks that, yes, indeed, there is a free enterprise solution to climate change. If we're successful at that, then Republican politicians will feel comfortable getting on a carbon pricing bill, and we can get this through with bipartisan support and therefore make it durable. Right. That's our executive director, Bob Inglis. Again, Ask Bob Anything, a weekly segment where we will pick one question from the Apple podcast review. Uh, You just type in your question right there on Apple Podcasts on the EcoRight Speaks page where you search for the EcoRight Speaks podcast and then go to the rating at the bottom and you can type in your question in that field and hit submit. And so we appreciate everybody that's submitted questions. We will continue getting to more of those every single week on Ask Bob Anything. And that goes for anything you would like to ask. So go ahead and get your questions in. Um, also, before we give you a little programming note, I want to thank our new members this week, LCT in Michigan, Janetta N. in California, Dylan C. in Idaho, Michaela S. in Ohio, and Frank H. in Colorado. So you can join us and stand with us, republican.org forward slash join. Do that in power and numbers. We need you, republican.org forward slash join. Please stand with us if you have not already done so. Of course, you know me, Price Atkinson, and you really know our host, Chelsea Henderson. Hope she is enjoying her vacation, fun in the sun, wherever she's at, whatever she is doing. She was getting well-deserved time off, and we will get some time off next week. So we will not have a podcast next week. Again, this week's episode debuting on Tuesday, August the 3rd. We will take a brief break for Labor Day. We won't have an episode next week, the week of Labor Day. We will return on Tuesday the 14th. So once again, Tuesday the 14th. Of September is when we will return with another packed edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast. But I want to thank again Mark Fleming, our guest this week. I want to thank Chelsea, certainly well deserved, earned vacation right now. And most of all, I want to thank you, our listeners, that help make this podcast possible every single week. You're listening, downloading, subscribing, telling a friend. And that's the only thing we usually ask you to do at least every week is to tell a friend so we can you can spread the good word and let them know that we are out there. But again, I'm Price Atkinson. Thank you again for joining us this week. Um, hope everybody has a safe, blessed, happy, healthy uh, Labor Day weekend. And certainly our thoughts and prayers to everybody that was is there in, uh, along the Gulf of Mexico, but especially in southern Louisiana, in New Orleans, um, southern Mississippi, everywhere that has been affected by Hurricane Ida. Uh, obviously, the damage is just incredible uh, to witness on television. So we're thinking about everybody that has been affected in some way, shape, or form by the hurricane coming on shore. But we do say, hope you stay safe and healthy over the Labor Day holiday, and we will be back with you again on Tuesday, September 14th. So until then, again, I'm Price Atkinson. Chelsea Henderson will return, and she'll give us a full lowdown on her vacation. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at republicen.org. 
Make sure to visit republicen.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.